Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. And welcome to Game Changers Live. My name is Sergio Tiguera. You can catch us each and every week on your favorite podcast channel, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, LinkedIn, you name it. We are there and YouTube as well. Really excited to say that we're a top 2% globally ranked podcast by Listen Notes. And we're now coming to you live from our campus studio at Florida International University College of Communications, Architecture and the Arts. We have this gorgeous new studio here and my guest will hopefully be back in Miami at some point. He's coming to us from Dubai in the UAE. And Mario Knopfel is, is my guest today. He's the founder of the Athena Group of Companies, a business conglomerate operates in more than 40 countries. He started his first business with $300 in the bank selling blenders door to door, but through some unconventional marketing techniques, efficient logistical systems, and a team of global contractors, he propelled Fruity to 1 million a year in one year and over 10 million a year in year two, all completely bootstrapped. Since then, he's launched multiple ventures in, into the millions, all bootstrapped, including events, businesses, a fintech consulting company, market, marketing agency, multiple e-com businesses. He's a partner in a law firm, founder of a VC fund, and he's also heavy into the NFT space. So we'll talk about all of this stuff and more. So welcome to the show, my friend. What's up? Congrats on the new studio, man. Thank you, Mario. Appreciate it, buddy. So Mario, you have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. You're pretty young. What what drove you? Have you always had this entrepreneurial mindset? I don't know, man. Like This question comes up often to entrepreneurs, and everyone likes to give a story, but not many admit that it's really difficult to know what sparked it. Um, well, if someone knows what sparked it, I admire them. But a lot of things that happen in your childhood impact who you are today. And it's hard to know what impacted what. I think for me, um, the fact that I had, you know, I migrated to Australia as a kid and, and I had to really build up myself. On the, and I had nothing. I didn't, didn't speak the language. I didn't have friends, family, nothing. And or limited family. So I had to build everything up from scratch. I think that led to that um, uh, kind of survival instinct of having to build something and having to prove to the world uh, my identity. That's my guess on what got me to where I am. But I genuinely just wake up every day, um, whether it's a great day or I'm going through hell, like every entrepreneur. Um, and for me, like the first thing I do is just jump right into my WhatsApp and start working. Um, it's instinctual. I, I don't know what led me to this position. But I try to maintain it by doing the basics, keeping you know a good sleep. If my energy is down, I put some music to get the energy up. I exercise. So trying to get the basics, basics right to try to maintain the same attitude I've had for the last few X number of years since I started. So where were you born, you said? In Australia? No, I was born in Lebanon. I migrated to Australia as a kid um, back in okay. primary school. So I've lived in Australia all my life before starting to travel. So seven years ago, I left the country and I've just been traveling since. You know, I'm in Dubai now. I'm flying out in a few days. Um, and, and I've been flying... Now, at one stage, I was on a plane every two to three days for, for, for months. So it's been my life for a while. It's not, it's every not time, easy. Every time I go to, oh, you're, you're in Miami. Every time I go to Miami, you guys stop me in the airport. Like you guys have the strictest law enforcement I've seen in many, many <laughs> I get stopped in Miami for the simple reason. They're like, Mario, 
our system keeps flagging you. It's illogical, but the only reason it flags you is it finds out you come in, you stay two days, and you leave. You come in, because I come to speak at events. Come in, stay for two days, and leave every single time, which is very suspicious. I'm like, yes, I speak at events. I explain this every freaking time. And, but I still get stopped because the system refuses to whitelist me. <laughs> All right. So so let's get back here. For, let's Let's take things back a little bit. So you started off selling blenders door to door is that something just to survive that you said all right I, I i need some cash in my pocket i gotta do something and you found this opportunity no it's a cheesy reason i started doing it i was at university doing banking and finance and i didn't know what the word entrepreneurship meant and coming from that traditional world um of university get a job etc become a millionaire in the 30s and 40s that was my plan um, as a banker because that's how you can make the most money but then I, I saw a video of a guy called Farah Gray. And it was an old video that was on YouTube, how he made his first million dollars at age 14. That's one four. Then I realized, I'm like, holy wow. shit. Like, I'm, not, I'm not too young to do this. I'm, I could even be too old. Within days, I dropped out of university, a second year, even though I was doing extremely well, and got the first job I can get. And that was door-to-door -door sales, because you can do it on a commission-only basis. Uh, did well from the beginning, you know, I was making uh, multiple thousands of dollars in week one, but I had to get way outside my comfort zone. Like the way you see me now, that extroverted personality is not who I am on a personal level and not how I was before. I had to kind of build it and, and door knocking was, um, you know, kind of a blessing in disguise because it gives you skills that are immensely valuable, you know, that they evolved into allowing me to speak on Clubhouse to 10,000 people a day or go on stage around the world. You know, I'm going to speak at the World Economic Forum next week. This personality to allow me to do those would have been impossible before the journey that started with door knocking, which is getting my personality out there. And that's one of the things that is probably the biggest hurdle for, for most people, because I think most people tend to be more a little bit more introverted when they have to go sell something door to door. You know, it, you're, you get into your own head, you start getting the self-talk saying that, you know, hey, don't that sounds stupid. They're not going to buy this. It costs too much. Da, 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 da. And that's something that everybody struggles with, whether you're selling blenders or whether you're selling products or you're an entrepreneur or you're a CEO. How, you know, how did you get over that? Okay, so, so Tim Ferriss has a quote that I'm going to paraphrase and butcher, and, it's a, and, and, and many have the same quote. Someone's success can be measured by the amount of uncomfortable discussions they have. I kind of repurpose that and say mm. a person's success is determined by the, amount of, by the number of uncomfortable things they do. So when I went on stage, even though I spoke on Clubhouse to thousands of people every day, seven days a week, hours every day, I had the biggest daily room on Clubhouse, uh, and I was very comfortable. It was my, it, it was my jam. When it was on, on stage in front of people, the first time I spoke at an event, now I speak at events on a, daily, on, on a weekly basis, I was really stressed and I practiced like crazy. I'm like, I don't want this shit. Like, I, I, I have a very comfortable life. I don't need to do this. I can live in my little bubble and be very comfortable and happy. Yet I pushed myself, got on stage. Now it's a natural thing. I travel the world speaking on stage. All my hobbies, dancing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dancing at a festival this weekend. I go there as an artist. Like I wear all the shiny clothes, the suit, and you go in there, people line up to dance with me. So that level of, of, of uh, you know, that's a dis, you know, not a very uncomfortable place to be, dancing in hundreds of people in a circle watching you and filming you. You can see it on my Instagram. I'm like, there's no way I'll be comfortable. And I get stressed to this day. I get stressed every time when doing it. And I'm going to do it again this weekend. Um, 
but I force myself to do it, reminding myself that getting myself uncomfortable is a very important state of mind for evolving. Um, I do cryotherapy every day. I hate the cold. Like I just find <laughs> I get up for I did cryotherapy two hours ago. So if someone gets wow. in the habit of getting discomfort, uh, of getting uncomfortable, it's a very, very strong um, USP, a, a strong power above your competitors um, that you could leverage. Wow. Yeah. Getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's, that's one of the key things. So you, you had some great success with this, with this smoothie company. It went, you know, you, you have a knack for, for being very likable and very convincing. Right? Is that something that you learn on, on the go so my, or do you just, uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Did I just develop it? Sorry to interrupt, but it's a, it's a really cool question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so my CEO came to me a few days ago, like he's with me in Dubai. So what I do is I, I've been like this for years. I rent big places and I've got two places here, two stores, and I just fill them up with my team. We have like 12 bedrooms and they all come work with me. So my CEO was here. He left yesterday for, for, for a couple of weeks and CEO of IBC, one of my companies, the, the crypto incubator. And he's like, Mario, you have a really, you know, you're really good at, 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 at just you know, convincing people of things that I find inconceivable. Um, so I started thinking like how, and I've had, I've had this a few times. Um, it, it's funny. I, I don't know what developed it, but I used to be obsessed in learning people. Like my biggest strength, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a, you know, a, a developer. I'm, I'm none of these respectable things in life. Like, you know, I, I love scientists. I love doctors. I find them to be the, the highest level of human achievement because they bring the most value to society. Devs, creators. I'm none of those. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a speaker. I convince people and I, I like to see trends. I'm really good at seeing trends. And then I know how to build businesses and systems. But in terms of your point of how to influence people, I obsessed over body language initially, but door knocking was probably the best thing to do. The best thing I did was door knocking because I had seconds to impact someone to make a decision. And then cold calling was the next thing I did. I had seconds to impact someone on the phone to first listen to me. After listening to me, accept the second call. In the second call, accept a free trial. After the free trial, accept to pay me. So I had to go through the whole funnel. And that developed as the, the world developed, as web became more important, social became more important. All of it is about impacting humans. It hasn't changed for multiple years, for decades. Um, and copywriting now is, the, is, is kind of the, the umbrella term to use. It's one of the most important skills to have and probably one of my, my main strengths. I have many weaknesses, but I have a small number of strengths and that's one of them. So you move on from from this space. You do well in the, in the smoothies, uh, you know, uh, or the fruity uh, company, yeah. right? The health and wellness. So then, from there, you, you do what? I fail a few times, so I thought I'm I'm invincible. So I went through the floor of thinking <laughs> I'm a I'm a god. I remember I was in Germany, and I was in an, at a in a hotel facing the zoo, and I was looking at the zoo, and I'm like, think I remember the day. I'm like, wow, like I'm a fucking beast, but I I need to become that. Why am I not a billionaire? So I started getting ahead of myself. I'm like, I'll never have to worry about money again. I've, I've made so much money. I'll never have to worry about money again. Now I need to get to a billionaire. And I started spending money like crazy, thinking any, anything I touch is going to be, you know, is, is going to be successful because I know what the hell I'm doing. Um, so that was probably the most dangerous state of mind I had. Uh, two years later, um, so not long after that, I launched IBC in 2017, which is a crypto, uh, initially marketing and consulting. Now it's an incubator and accelerator. And, um, and that did really well. You know, it, it did immensely well. We were one of the biggest back in 2017, 2018. 
But then in, in that period, um, Fruity almost went bust because um, one of the suppliers screwed us and I was very irresponsible with money. And then IBC almost went bust because we, there was a big scam. We lost millions. Someone scammed us. It's an ongoing legal case. Um, I was screwed by one of my team members, one of my executives. And uh, that almost destroyed IBC. So then I was from being on top of the world and like, how do I be a billionaire? Then I'm like, holy shit. On one stage, I was discussing with management, should we close down Fruity? It wasn't something we're seriously considering, but at least we put it on the table as like plan, whatever, EF. And then Fruity survived, but then the haste, we had the same discussion after the scam. Will IBC survive the scam? So here I am on top of the world. Then here I am thinking, fuck, am I going to survive? And there was a great quote by, I forgot who, a few days ago. Um, and it, it, he's talking about how entrepreneurship, a guy called Raul Paul, a crypto um, uh, you know, institutional investor. He's like, entrepreneurship is like a constant battle. One second, you're going to become billionaires. Next second, are we going to survive? Especially in crypto. Right. So, so the biggest mistake I've done is, is feeling I'm invincible. And then now I've got a constant habit of bringing myself back to earth and reminding myself to be pragmatic with my decisions, to be risk averse and to realize I'm far from being invincible. Mm, that's that's really interesting. Did you ever find yourself at one point saying, um, I am extended way beyond my capabilities here? Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm opening up too many companies, too many different areas. Am I stretching myself too thin? Did, did you ever question yourself like that? Yeah, and I took action on it. So I closed down a lot of my companies or merged them together. So Fruity and Zens, I won't mention the companies, but a lot of the health and wellness companies I have, I merged them into one called Fruity. We still exist today. Did a record, you know, record sales last year, record revenue profit. Um, I'm not involved in it anymore, um, but I own the company. So I did the same thing in crypto and marketing. So I moved my growth hacking agency into IBC, merged that. Now I stepped away from IBC and now I'm working with NFT Tech, which is the same space, so my same network, my same skill set. So pretty much my... Uh, my life now in the business world is around Fruity, which I don't touch. Yeah, I can even sell it, but I, I, it's my baby, so I won't. Um, then I have in my events business, everything into health and wellness into that. Then I have crypto, which is IBC and NFT tech, which is separate, which is my main focus. Um, and I've got my show, The Roundtable, which is now moving to Twitter spaces. So the live audio room that I do. Um, that's pretty much it. Before, I was proud to have many companies. Now I just have you know a handful of companies and I'd rather invest in, I'm invested in over 200 businesses. So I'd rather invest rather than just build things from scratch. Right. So do you find yourself with, with a gift of being able to create systems that work? Because as an entrepreneur, a lot of entrepreneurs tend to try to take everything on themselves, but you seem to be able to see or, or piece the puzzle together so that you can step away and you're not the roadblock or you're not the bottleneck. That's been my strength and weakness. Initially, I was, mm. I was obsessed with delegating. When I say obsessed, everything in my life is delegated. I have a team that manages my health. You know, I, I, as in today, I go to the doctor. Was that from the five-hour work week from Tim Ferriss? where he, he tries to delegate, it, outsource his entire life. <laughs> it played a role. I was like this before that, but that played a role. I don't know what got me to become like this because I've been like this for a really long time. So I don't know what triggered it. But I mean, I not today I woke up, went to the doctor. I don't even know what the doctor is for. I have a list of questions they give to the doctor. 
I add someone on, on a call and they speak to the doctor. I have a medical team that manages all my medical stuff. So even my personal life is all delegated. My trips, everything, all I do is I wake up, I check my calendar to know what to do. There's nothing else. But that allows me to focus on the important things, which is, you know, I don't know if you saw the movie Margin Call, but the, the, the leader of a big bank, I think Morgan Stanley or, or, uh, that was represented in the movie, he sits on, in the boardroom and the big table, he gets paid millions, uh, tens of hundreds of millions a year, tens of millions, I guess. And he goes, he goes, you know why I sit on this big boy table? You know why I'm the main guy here? Because I'm not the smartest, because I'm not early, but because I have one thing to do. And that's realized where the space is heading next. What's going to happen next? That's it. So once I delegate everything around my life, it gives me time to focus on, for me, the most important thing is that where should we be placing our focus? How should we calibrating our compass? What should we be doing next? If I focus purely on that and then on my other art, it's, you know, running my room, my show. If I just focus on these two things, because these are things that I cannot delegate that are hard, otherwise I'm useless. Everything else I try to delegate. But, you know, delegation is a very delicate art, one of the most common things that entrepreneurs fail in. And I was surprised mm -hmm. years ago to not realize how difficult it is to delegate. And there's a process to delegate. This is probably the most important thing for anyone running a business. The process to delegate is you find the right people. Don't do the same mistake I did for years, which is hiring the wrong person for the right job. So the right person for the right job, because you can hire an incredible shark and put him in the wrong position. So the right mm -hmm. person for the right job. So four steps. Third thing, teach them like you're teaching a primary school kid. You can't expect them to know everything. Give them everything. Give them a wiki. Give them everything they need. Make sure they write it down. And then number four, which is probably the thing they forget the most, the feedback loop. Make sure there's a loop where when you teach them something, they, 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 there's a way for them to revert it back, whether it's a daily report, whether it's certain metrics, so you know if they're doing a good job or not. Don't just set and forget. Um, there's a great video. I think if you go on YouTube, write The Art of Delegation. Um, there's a guy who has a great video on this that I've sent to my team multiple times for years and years and years. Like um, it, it conveys this really well, The Art of Delegation. Um, extremely, extremely powerful skill to have. How do you know you found the right person when you're when you're hiring them? You probably don't, really, right? Until you can, yeah, you test. I think the best. There's many things you could do. You know, hiring, and I'm really bad at it. So we have a HR person, but um, hire slowly, fire fast is probably the best way. I like to hire fast. Sometimes you have to hire fast and fire fast, especially in crypto when you know things are blowing up. But generally, yeah. take your time to find the right person. Uh, find a HR person if it's your weakness, and then fire fast if they're incapable. If you do these steps and you teach them everything, you put them in the right position and they still don't deliver, find the next person. Because you can never know for sure. It's really, really difficult. So, um, yeah, that's why the feedback loop is important. Now, I've, I've seen you on Club, you know, heard you on Clubhouse back, you know, over the last, I guess, year and a half or two years when it kicked off. And you, you seem to be very quick to try to dominate a space. What, how do you do that? And how, how do you see the trend coming that tells you, okay, this is, this is coming. I need to, I need to be all over this. I don't know. I just, I know, I remember TikTok when I first, and I was late to it, by the way, but I told my marketing person, uh, we always joke about it. Um, I told him to get onto TikTok when it was still only in China and there's some news company just covered it. And it was only a Chinese platform. Wow. That's it. it didn't even expand to the West. 
I had no idea it's going to be popular. I'm like, hey, man, you've got to get onto this. I'm on an app now. There's a company called Chingari. So Ching, C-H-I-N-G-A-R-I. And that's the TikTok of India. And I was in India about a month ago. And I don't know if it's going to succeed. We're invested. You know, we invested seven figures into the company. So we're pretty well vested into it. Then one of my friends comes to me. She's like, Mario, my dancing partner, Jennifer. She's like, Mario, have you heard of this app, Chingari? You know, my friend opened an account. I'm like, yeah, we're invested in it. I didn't know. I forgot about it completely. So immediately I got onto <laughs> it. Now I've got over, I just do, I have one business channel that got like 20 something, 5 million views in like two weeks. And I've got a dancing channel. It's got 85 million views in like three weeks. Um, wow. And that's, that's, it could fail. So what I recommend, and in my team even convinced me, no joke, you know, I'm not a, a, a you know, a conservative or right-wing person. I'm not into politics. I don't support any of that stuff or conspiracy theories, none of that stuff. But there's a platform called Getter, G-E-T-R-R. -R. And then they're like, hey, Mario, you should open an account for you. So they opened an account for me, started posting my stuff without me knowing. Now Trump is, has his own social platform. I don't like Trump. I don't really care for Trump. But my team opened an account there and just posted my content, the, con the value I bring. doesn't matter who the audience is. Mm. Um, and so they're going, they just post it everywhere. Whether I like the platform, I don't like the platform, whether it's in Russia or India or China or Ecuador. Which one blows up the same way TikTok from China blew up? We don't know. Um, but it's about you know being trying to be everywhere. And then when one blows up like Clubhouse, it could change your life. People genuinely built their whole empire by being early on a social platform. So it's worth it to take your chance, get onto as many platforms as you can, spend your time. Um, now, obviously, I've got the, 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 the you know, the, the, unfair advantage of delegating and having people do it for me so if someone doesn't have that time just at least wait for them to gain traction like clubhouse right. gain traction in the west and then get involved but it's immensely powerful to be early on a platform i screwed it on instagram i screwed it on youtube i screwed it on facebook everywhere i was late until finally being early on clubhouse early-ish and that blew up mm. And then, you know, you, you committed a lot of time to that because it seems like every time I jumped on, you were in a conversation with, with JT or with somebody and in these huge rooms. So, I mean, it was a huge time commitment without necessarily uh, knowing if there was going to be a financial, you know, gain at the end. Well, the fact that people are knowing you is part of the, part of the, you know, the allure and, and the value of it. Attention is so undervalued, Sergio. Attention. Mm -hmm. It's so undervalued by many. It's it's the, the, the value of having people listen to you and I'm, I'm, you're experiencing this firsthand. It's so difficult, so difficult. And I'm experiencing myself like to gain traction on, 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 on platforms like TikTok. I'm struggling now. I'm still struggling on YouTube. I'm struggling. Look at my YouTube account. I'm struggling on Clubhouse. I did really well on Twitter. I'm doing well. Um, Chingari, I'm doing well. So it just depends on the platform. My dancing account is doing well, but other platforms, you know, I was just on a call before this with you know nft tech has a guild a gaming guild just before this we were on a 20 minute call on how to start gaining traction and it's not cheap it's not cheap so um so let's talk a little bit more about nft tech now and and this whole space that you're in tell me about your involvement in so you started with ibc doing some consulting and so forth now became an incubator right and tell me about nft tech and what you guys are doing there and that you're going public right yeah, yeah. So, so I've got two other co-founders, Jason Coles and Wayne Lloyd. And um, so the genius idea was get the NFT ticker. So they, Wayne is a guy that loves to take companies public. That's his skill set. That's his, his superpower. And Jason 
is a beast at growing public companies. He has a whole agency that does it. I've known him since the crypto days. And he's got a strong reputation and a big agency that does that. So they got the, everyone's focused on NFTs and tokens, which is great. And mm -hmm. you know, IBC does that as well. Uh, what these guys did, they're like, hey, we're going to get the NFT ticker, which they succeeded. And then we built NFT tech into a company that is going public on the stock market, allowing retail anyone to buy the stock. And then it's our job to find, to come in early into, you know, reputable projects and avoid scams. Now that sounds pretty simple, but anyone in the crypto space knows how easy it is to get rugged, how easy it is to get screwed. And yeah. any investor, any VC will tell you getting early, you know, those top crypto deals, getting in early is extremely difficult. It's very, very tribal. Right. And you know, that's a tribe that I belong to because I've been in the space for so long. So we decided to bring exposure to the retail market to that fickle, lucrative area called NFTs, the metaverse and crypto in general, mm -hmm. where, what's known as Web3 now. Um, right. So giving access to fund managers and retail investors. So you're essentially making it more accessible for retail investors to buy into NFT projects without having, a, let's say, a crypto account necessarily. Is that right? Exactly. So they don't need to have a wallet. They don't need to, to start getting into projects early. They don't need to have a team to try to figure out if a project is good or not, if the tech is good, if the um, founders are good, you know, what the tech even means, because crypto is, an, is, is, a, is a mystery to many. And I've seen, you know, retail investors are always the one that gets screwed in crypto. And people that are insiders get in early and then dump on, especially influencers, because there's no regulations. All these freaking influencers, not all, a, a big portion of them just promote a project to their followers, the people that trust them. They destroy their brand because I promote a project, including big names, and I won't name them, A-list celebrities. They promote a project, they or B-list celebrities. The, the, the followers would buy the damn project and then they sell it. And there's multiple proof of that. So it's just a cesspool of scams and spams. Yeah. If you manage to come in early, if you manage to have that early access, there's returns that are insane in the crypto space. As in, you look at some projects like Stepin. There's a project called Stepin. Incredible project. They launched within a month from launching. They sitting at they were sitting at 400x. I mean, they're sitting at like 300x now. They hit a, a top of I think 500x within a couple of months from launching. If you put in a hundred thousand dollars, it's like 20 of 500x, 50 million dollars. I think. Imagine that's crazy returns. But no one can get us. It's so early. So it's very, very tribal. And for every one step in, there's hundreds, if not thousands of projects that just go to zero. Um, so we try to vet that. Plus, we launch our own businesses and give access to retail investors to those early projects. So when you mention a ticker, are, are you what do people should they imagine like a New York Stock Exchange ticker where you have all the different, uh, let's say, projects or or. Yeah, so, how does so, that work? Uh, on the, yeah, so on the stock market, you know how in the crypto you have a token ticker? Um, so mm -hmm. on the stock market, you go in there, you put NFT. Uh, we're starting with the Canadian Stock Exchange with uh, NEO in Canada. So you put NFT and then you'll get our stock um, and our plan. We have a plan to list on in the US uh, within a year. And then you just buy the stock. So it's a lot more, you know, and the regulations we have to go through, a token could list like this. No regulators, nothing. Anyone, you could do a token today right, and launch right. it tomorrow. With a company, public company, we were going, it took us over a year, a year and a half to list 
going through order after order after order. Every single transaction, we have to explain it to auditors, um, which is there to protect investors. Which, that doesn't exist for tokens in crypto. Okay, so so I, I as a retail investor can invest in NFT as as a ticker symbol, basically your company once it goes public, and that those funds are being invested almost like a money mark, like a money manager, but for for the NFT crypto side. Exactly. So it's like is that right? Look at it as a, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of almost like an index fund for the for the NFT and metaverse space. Correct. Right. Right. Exactly. So when is that? When is that happening? When are you going public with that? Um, I think we're expecting it next week. I think it's about a week, week or so left. Um, I'm not sure if it has been 100% confirmed, but it should be next week. Fantastic. So, are you going to be in New York? Uh, no, no. So I wish. I wish it's not the New York. Stock are you going to be in New York for that? Ring that bell. But I, oh. I think in a year I'll be able to ring that bell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I ring, the bell. ring that bell. I think it's a, a it's a nice uh, bucket list. Nice, nice. So Mario, you're doing some amazing things. I think there's a lot of nuggets here of, of what you know, you've mentioned in terms of your experience and so forth. As we, as we start to wrap up, what are you seeing as, as the guy who sees trends? Where, where do you see NFTs and crypto five, 10 years from now? Okay, so this is probably the part that was gonna get the most value for the audience. Um, I mean, I've done multiple podcasts, spoken in many events, on a almost daily basis. And I've always said to people like, just avoid the space for now, just learn the space, learn the space, don't invest. Last few days is the first time I tell people, now is the time. Because now that everyone, you know, crypto corrected heavily, everyone's scared. Now this is when you get excited. But that doesn't answer your question. That's just telling people like, now is the time to really dig deep now, not when everyone was hyped up before. Um, and again, if you don't believe me, go back to my previous episodes, anyone listening, and you'll see me saying the opposite of what I'm saying now. So I'm practicing what I preach. Now, mm -hmm. in the next five to 10 years, NFTs are not digital art and collectibles. That's not, that's like not even the tip of the iceberg. NFTs, the concept is digital ownership. You know, I own these AirPods. I own this phone. I own this t-shirt. Why do I own it? Because physics allows me to put the t-shirt on, allows me to wear the watch, allows me to put the AirPods in my house mm -hmm. or in my room bag or in my hotel room. And that, in humanity, in, in the way society works, that means you own it. No paperwork needed because it's within my vicinity because of physics. Now, on the web, Sergio, you couldn't own something. It was actually impossible to prove that you own something unless there was a central entity that says you own it. That means there's a bank that says you own that money or YouTube says you own that video. Instagram says you own that photo. Uh, TikTok says you own the rights to that music, whatever it is. So always, there's always been central entities. Now, since 2018, 2018, I think, NFTs, the NFT technology, you know, was born. Now you can technically, technologically own something on the web. And that opened up Pandora's box because now that allows for a society to exist, and that's where the metaverse comes in, for like a complete representation of the physical world, but virtually which already exists. You know, we're on Zoom right now instead of being face-to-face. -face. Instagram filters is like the, like the new makeup. Um, YouTube is a new entertainment. The list goes on. So now that you can actually own things online, the, the digital representation of the physical world allows you to own things in the digital world. That means own a, um, a clothes, 
own assets in a game. So if the game goes bankrupt, you can move those assets to another game because you own them. The same way in the physical world, if when I travel in a few days to Davos, I'll be able to go with my suitcase with my stuff from one metaverse, Dubai, to another metaverse country, uh, Switzerland. So virtually now you could do the same thing where you own something, you can trade it, you can sell it, you can move it from one world to another. So that digital world that's been evolving, you know, we call it the metaverse, I call it the multiverse, like many metaverses existing in one mm -hmm. web world. It's moving from like the, the, the basic, you know, you know, back in the 90s, like informational one-way communication. Web 2.0 is social two-way communication. Now Web 3.0 allows for digital ownership, which is allows for a society to completely function virtually. Doesn't matter what's happening in the physical world, which is fascinating step for humanity and it's going to open up massive doors for entrepreneurs and intellectuals to learn about how society evolves so it's, it's an extremely exciting decade and an extremely lucrative decade and i mean this so profoundly but it, it's so and, and i've heard this from so many people it's so difficult to wrap your mind around a virtual representation of let's say real estate right we see um, major dollars, major you know representations in crypto dollars, going to buy properties next to the Board Ape Yacht Club that rival real property values. It's it's very difficult for people to wrap their mind around what am I buying here? Am I buying just you know code or? But there's value in that, right? Why is it so yeah. hard for everyone to to see that? I'll explain it because. Because we're not doing a great job at explaining it in the crypto world. So I'll explain it in a way where I promise you, anyone that doesn't make sense to, please message me. I promise you I'll make sure this makes sense to you. Because if I, if I don't do that, it's a disservice to you. So there's two reasons we have property here in, in the physical world. One of them is survival. You know, you need to go to the bathroom, you need to sleep, you need to, you know, avoid the heat or the cold. Survival. And the second one is utility. You can have a you know a property to mine gold. We can have property. There's a main street, I think, in New York or somewhere, and there's multiple of these main streets where you know the the rent is significantly more than any revenue you can generate. But they have the the store there because you know it's a brand positioning. It's a, you know it's for the branding. Right. So there's utility for that. And even if you put a store in a place where there's traffic, there's utility because you're selling now. In the virtual world, I think real estate is not portrayed right. Because in the virtual world, you don't need to go to the bathroom. You don't need, there's no cold to prevent unless they build that within the code, which is stupid. Right. Because you don't, you know, physics doesn't exist. You create, <laughs> physics is created within the code. Right. Now, the only reason you need, you need real estate in the digital world is utility. So if it's a game, you need real estate to be able to mine gold or mine uh, minerals or, or rare metals or whatever it is. To be able to build spaceships, to be able to build weapons that they have utility because they allow you and don't undermine the power of gaming. You know, over a billion people, I think, in our world are gamers yeah, now. Yeah, that's something insane. Yeah, uh, even more, I think. It's insane, the number. I think over a billion. Anyway, so so now there's utility. But what if we, there's a company we're working with called Metaverse, MetaVR. They have a, a project called The Mall, TheMall.io. Check it out for anyone listening because will allow you to it's easier to connect to some a concept that's simple like a mall when they get users that's attention like a physical mall getting users in the physical mall you get a store so people can see it in a digital mall you pay rent so people can see it they walk past it now if you get a, a, a real estate next to board api club it's more of a brand positioning 
like there's not going to be many people in the metaverse now barely anyone's yeah, using yeah. it it's very early for the for the web3 metaverse so it's more of a positioning play because later the value will increase as users start to come in like the web 2.0 days like getting a, imagine getting a good domain back in web 2.0 that was good real estate right. in web 2.0 imagine getting you know porn.com back in 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 2000 or 1995 right. didn't matter back then no one was watching porn on the web Sorry, silly example, but I'm, I'm making a point. <laughs> but now, obviously, that domain will be worth a lot. Or realestate.com. So there is utility in the Web3, which is whether gaining attention or more interesting utility like mining rare metals or running concerts, etc. Now, then someone might say, okay, Mario, anyone could just create a metaverse and sell land. Does that make it valuable? Answer is, of course not. Anyone can create a website. Does that mean the website? Anyone can copy facebook.com. Does that mean it's the same value as facebook.com? Of course not. Facebook.com has... Traffic has an audience, has attention. So the, the metaverses that will be that will have genuine value are the ones that have attention. In community. Exactly. I've yes. You know, I have a video that I posted a few days ago from an event that I, I, I say this all the time. What brings value to NFTs and metaverses? One of the core aspects is one of the main aspects is community. Because people, if there's no people, imagine New York deserted. Everything's cheap as chips. The same mm -hmm. land. In a small, remember that village in Italy that would sell houses for like a dollar? Right. Yeah. They're giving them away Imagine, to try to attract people over. Exactly. Go to a real estate agent in New York, say, hey, I have a dollar. What can I buy? <laughs> exactly. Because the attention is there and there's no one in that Indian, Italian village. Right. Right. That's that's fantastic. That's a great way to put it. And you're seeing also, you know, companies that, you know, Prada, Gucci, they're all coming together to, to, come up with virtual you know watches and and chains yes. and everything else i mean yes. it's yes. this is insane when you start thinking about it, it, oh my god it, it's an entire other it, it, world and it makes sense like in the physical world you drive a ferrari why you don't need a ferrari in countries there's speed limits you don't need a ferrari why it signals to the world like hey i have money brings attention. You wear a Rolls Royce, you dress up with, with a Prada or whatever because you want to signal to the world, I have money. Or you can wear something else to signal a certain identity. We already signal in the digital world by posting this stuff on Instagram. So all these fashion brands now creating fashion items. You know, we work with a company called Faith Tribe and they move branded clothes to the metaverse because in the metaverse, it's also there's attention and you want to signal to the world. You want to have a board ape, you want to have a crypto punk, you want to have a Gucci bag. Why? Because it does the same thing in the physical world. It signals to the world a certain aspect of your identity. In this case that we just gave, signals wealth, which is very, very powerful. Signaling is a big part of our everyday life. Anyone that, that, that disagrees and doesn't understand society. <laughs> Mario, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge, my friend. I appreciate you coming on, man. Congratulations on going to speak in Davos. I spent a couple of years in, in Switzerland living out there in Geneva. And uh, it, it's an amazing, amazing conference. And, and the fact that you get to go speak there is, is quite the honor. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out and uh, also watching NFT Tech as it goes public here soon. Congratulations on that. And when you're down in Miami, definitely let's get together and uh and go have a couple of drinks on south beach there so thank you my friend i appreciate you and guys if you enjoyed this content make sure to subscribe and like you can get uh more info about guys like mario say mario Noffle.com, right yeah that's my main my, my personal website all right perfect and then where, where else can they grab onto you instagram or 
yeah, you just Google me and you can do whatever you like. But uh, and if you want NFT, you know, things about NFT metaverse, uh, we're doing newsletters on our website, NFT Tech for Technology, nfttech.com. Uh, just go there, subscribe, because the most important thing to do now, now is educate yourself before investing, before anything. Understand this space. Probably one of the most valuable things anyone can do with their time today. Fantastic. Mario, you're a game changer, my friend. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it, guys. Make sure to catch this in every episode on any of your favorite channels, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. If you loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable, so I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it. You may end up being the game changer in their lives.